Amen. Philippians chapter 3. Interesting days to be alive, isn't it? Every time I get together with another brother or sister and pray, humble myself in their presence, I'm always, first of all, surprised I'm there. Whoa! How did I get to be part of a prayer circle? And then I'm always aware of the fact that my days are numbered. I'm not always going to be here. It's a very real opportunity set before us. It's called life. And God's asked us to live our lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. And every single day you get is a gift that God's given to you. And every single day you're allowed that opportunity to spend that day for God's glory and for others' good. And yet we need to be reminded of this, do we not? How many guys ever forget that everything's really important? You ever forget that, you know? You ever just spend a day doing nothing, like even things you shouldn't do? Raise your hand if you do things you shouldn't do. Anybody here? Okay. Four of us, the rest of you are doing things you shouldn't do and you're lying about it. Dang. Man, we're all messed up. We need to be reminded. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, and for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul's reminding them of the things they already know. And as you grow in Christianity, as you grow in your relationship with others, you seldom learn new things. You just need to be reminded of the same things that you already know to be true, but maybe you aren't practicing in that moment. And you see, God knows this about you. He knows that you're fickle. He knows that you get all over the place. And so he instructs us and he encourages us in his word to be about his word. And if you were here last week and that week ensuing, we found ourselves, or the week before, we saw ourselves being reminded by Paul in chapter two of four different character witnesses of what it looks like to be a Christian. The first one was Jesus and what he did. He had a mind of humility and served, and that's a pretty big high bar to get over. And so Paul then uh, gave himself up as an example. He said, well, I'm doing it too. And then he used Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of men who were engaged in the battle. And I just want to remind you of two things about Timothy and Epaphroditus that stuck out to me as I was preparing this sermon that I believe are important for us moving forward. In verse 22 of chapter 2, Paul says that Timothy had a proven character. Okay, This means that Timothy had been through a test or two. He was called by God to be a son of God, to be a leader of God, and then he was tested more than once. Raise your hand if you've been tested more than once. <laughs> that was a test, by the way. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. You guys are proven character. Literally means tested character. That God is working into you integrity and character. And he's taking you through seasons that will expose more flesh, more weakness, and will allow then the strength of the Spirit to be ingrained into the person He wants you to be. I say that to say this. Right now you're going through a test, every single one of you. You probably gave your life to Jesus Christ at one point and said, I'm going to serve the Lord. Man, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be rad. And the Lord's like, oh, here's a helmet. You're going to need that. What do I need a helmet for? He's like, oh, you're going to get beat up. Oh, here's a shield. Here's a sword. Here's some armor. Like, get ready. And you're about to get into a battle. And sometimes when we step out to serve the Lord, though, we think it's going to be easy, don't we? It's like, oh, man, the Lord's so proud of me. I'm going to be a leader. It's going to be sweet. Bang, 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 bang. You start getting beat up. And I just want to encourage you. Okay, right now you're being tested because God loves you, and he wants to form in you a greater weight of faith. And there's no way to get a greater weight of faith in, unless you go through testing. Peter says it this way in his book. He says it twice in the last chapter, chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, though some strange thing happened to you. You ever find yourself going through a trial like, this isn't what I signed up for. And your spouse shows you the marital vows. Yes, you did, you know. And that's not my spouse. But anyways, I'm sure somebody has a tough marriage and 
Don't think it's strange concerning the things that you're going through. He goes on in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Okay, just so you guys know, God's going to test you. It's okay. It's okay. And your problem's not your problem. Your problem's your solution. God is going to set up before you problems in order to work in you a greater faith, a more pure faith. I don't like problems, I don't like tests, I don't like setbacks, I don't like challenges at all. That's why I joined the ministry. <laughs> Thank you. Are you kidding me? Peter says it differently at the beginning of his book in chapter 1. He says, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you before we get into chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, Paul uses these character and case studies, Epaphroditus and Timothy, and he says, man, Timothy was tested. Why do you think he got two books? Why do you think God used him? Why do you think he had character like nobody else? Because he'd been tested. If you're being tested right now, it's because God is for you, not against you. Okay? And once you pass the test, the test will pass. What does God have you walk in right now? Maybe you're stubborn, maybe you're rebellious. You know what you're supposed to do. Like, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. He's asking you to humble yourself to somebody or love somebody or forgive somebody. Well, I don't want to do that. Really? Okay, well, you're going to be taking this test until you figure that out. And God's testing you. Second thing I want to point out and remind ourselves of is Epaphroditus was told to us by Paul that he was his brother, fellow worker, soldier, and messenger. Okay, there's work to be done. There's a battle to be fought in. There's things that are going on. And if you've stepped out to be a Christian here and you're leading your family, you're trying to impact your community, trying to do things, and you feel like you're being tested, it's because you are. And if you feel like there's work and it's a battle, it's because there is work and it's a battle. This always surprises me from time to time. I do something glorious, like, I want to do this, let's start a school. Ah, test, you know, battle, battle, what the heck? Let's start a life group, let's invite people over to our house. And they come over, oh, battle, battle, test, test, what the heck? And you set out to do something. I'm going to volunteer in Sunday school. I love the Sunday schoolers. And you come out and your shins are all bleeding because the kids kicked you the whole time. Like, you know, like, well, I didn't say it was MMA Sunday school. And any time you set out to do something for the Lord, He will test you to get that greater character. It is a battle and there's work to be done. I need to remind my flesh of this because I freak out, I spaz out, I tap out, I, I get weird out. And the Lord says, do not, Jesus said, do not be surprised at the various trials, Peter say. But don't, 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 don't be surprised when there's troubles. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. James, in his epistle, Jesus' little brother, he actually says to rejoice and to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James would actually put it this way. He would say testing plus difficulty plus trials plus work plus fighting equals, it starts with J and runs with oi, joy. Now, how many of you guys aren't very good at math? You're like, trials, testing, difficulty, setbacks. That doesn't equal joy in my math. That doesn't, I don't count it up like that. So here Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now when he says finally, you would imagine him kind of coming to the end of his book. This is right in the very middle. This is a pastor trick right here. This is a prank where the pastor says, and in closing... And then 35 minutes later, you're like, I thought he was closing. You know, don't, no, no, it's just, it's just pastor lingo here. So he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice. We're in chapter three, verse one now. Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. In other words, what he's saying is don't rejoice necessarily in your circumstances, but rejoice in the what? Lord. 
you can rejoice in the Lord all the time. You may not be able to rejoice in your circumstances. Your circumstances may be downright difficult. Every once in a while, you can rejoice in your circumstances, right? Unless you're a Bieber fan, then you just can't. But, it, but <laughs> don't hate the messenger. I just delivered the news. I don't even know what I'm talking about. It felt right, felt right to say that. Anyways, rejoice in the Lord. Did you know that you can rejoice in the Lord because he's gone into your past and he's erased all the things that you've done contrary to him? Did you know you can rejoice in the Lord because he's committed himself to your present? He's right here with you. Even in your testing, even in your trials right now, he's with you right here. You can rejoice right now. There's more than one story where somebody's incarcerated, locked up. Peter, more than once, is locked up and incarcerated. Guess who shows up into that jail cell with Jesus? With Peter. Jesus himself. Angels show up. Rejoice. I got you. Jesus showed up to Paul himself when he was incarcerated as well and spoke words of encouragement to him in times where he was bleeding, tested, and challenged. Man, if you're like me, you're just a weak person. And when things aren't going good, it's kind of hard to rejoice at times. And he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It's not tedious for me to remind you of these things. I'm going to tell you over and over and over again. He's gone into your past, Jesus has. He's with you in the present. And he's also committed himself to your future. He's going to finish the work he began. When you take your last breath here, you're going to take your first breath with him. We have so many reasons to rejoice, so many reasons to take hope. And the world around us right now is addicted to non-joy, aren't they? It's just non-joy. We don't like joy, especially on the Oregon coast. Man, we don't like, you know, we're gonna, everyone's mad and everyone's you know, angry. And when you have joy, it freaks people out. I don't know about you, but I kind of like freaking people out. Kind of like messing with people. And have, but I need to be reminded myself, where are you going when you die? It's a real question. Heaven. Okay, me and Lucy. I'm going to heaven! That changes everything, right? Does that change everything for you? How's your life? It's real hard. It's difficult. Things are tough. Guess I'm going to heaven now. <laughs> what? Are you for real? Like, you're in line right now for heaven. You're in, and then when you go to Disneyland, there's all those lines. You can wait 45 minutes to go on the Matterhorn. And you're, you know, you're, you're eating your churros and your turkey legs, and you're doing your best to be happy. You've got your fast patch, playing all those games. You're pretty much, you're stoked. You're in Disneyland waiting to go on a ride. So too, you and I who are believers, and I say, I say that to say this. This is for you to enjoy that experience of waiting, but it's also imperative because there's a lot of people who are also waiting in line, but they don't know where they're going. And they need to see your joy. They need to understand what you have. He contrasts this next verse. I'm spending a lot of time here. I've got to keep going because we've got 11 verses and you guys aren't listening fast enough this morning. So he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, not your circumstances, in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious for you. It is safe. Verse 2, he contrasts kind of heavily and uses some strong language here. He says, Beware of dogs. Beware of the evil workers and beware of the mutilation. Stop right there, eyes up here. He now throws a people group under the bus deeply that are the opposite of those who are rejoicing. He calls them dogs, mutilators, and evil workers. Okay, just so you, we're not going to go too deep in this. What he's talking about is religious people. He's talking about his brethren, the Jews, the Judaizers, who believed that you couldn't just get saved by accepting Jesus, but you had to get saved by accepting Jesus and then do more works in order to be saved altogether. Specifically, circumcision. 
the mutilation, cutting of yourself, an outward sign of an inward belief. You had to do these things, and they would come along. This is, what, this is history. They would come along Paul's revivals, his Bible studies. Paul would preach. People would get saved. They then would go to these people and say, hey, I saw you raised your hand and got saved. That's really cool. Did you know you're not saved? What? Yeah, you've got to do all these extra things. You've got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. It's, it's, man, I, I appreciate your, your, your faith and stuff, but it doesn't count. And Paul says, these are evil workers. These are the mutilators. These are dogs. And they would attack Paul like wild dogs, and they would start riots and rebellions against the gospel of Jesus. And here Paul is saying to the Philippian church, hey guys, I need you to be very happy. I need you to rejoice in the Lord no matter what's going on. Beware of the dogs. Because they're going to try and steal your joy. They're going to try and put more weight of burden on you. They're going to try and put laws on you. You ever been a law person, like legalistic, you're just looking for, man, i got to please the Lord, i got to do more stuff. And he says to us in the book of John, he says, here's the work that you must work to please God. Believe in him who he sent. And we've all been religious. Maybe you're religious now. Maybe you have a little bit of religion in you and you don't know it. And Paul is saying, be careful of those who would like to add something to what Jesus did. You've heard the equation, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus something, baptism, tithing, taking communion, serving in Sunday school, worshiping, hosting a life group, getting circumcised. Jesus plus anything equals, rhymes with N, starts with N, Rhymes with nothing. Nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And Paul was wrestling with people who wanted to put weights of burdens on folks. Responsibilities. Oh, you're, you're not really saved. You've got to do it this way. Have you been to a church like this before? Because we're at Southeast Church. We're not like that. There was this radical church above Jerusalem. It was up in the northern kind of Phoenician area. And a bunch of Gentiles were getting saved. It was crazy. And so the church down in Jerusalem, they figured, we've got to send somebody who can handle this type of people. So they sent Barnabas up there. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. He was the son of encouragement. He said, okay, go up there. When Barnabas got there, he saw all these Gentiles swinging from the chandelier, taking communion, fired up in Jesus' name. None of them were circumcised. I don't know how they knew that, but they knew. And these guys were praising the Lord. And they had, maybe they had badges or codes. I don't know how they knew this stuff. And Barnabas, the Bible says this, when Barnabas saw the grace that they had, he was glad. Some people, when they see grace in other people's lives, they're not glad, they're mad. Oh man, those guys over there, I can't believe that church is so loud. <laughs> can't believe I said that. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did not say that. I can't believe, and people find themselves irritated at the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul says, be careful. Now he's saying this to the church at Philippi, warning them, but I we need to warn myself. I can see a group of believers having fun, enjoying the Lord, doing whatever. I can be judgmental. I can be condescending. I can be critical. Well, they're not doing it my way. They have pews in their church, not chairs. They, they, they wear suits and ties at their church. I'm, I'm not into that. And we can be just as critical as others. Paul says, hey, just beware of these guys. Don't be them. Beware of them. Then he says something crazy. I don't think we're going to get to verse 11 today. But anyways, he says this in verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision. Now pay attention, folks. I want you to learn something today. He says, we are the circumcision. That, and he lists three things. 
Is there a huge disconnect for us in the year 2022 of circumcision and uncircumcision and what it even means? Paul says, be careful of the mutilators, the evil workers, the dogs. Okay, those are the circumcised. And then he goes, we're the circumcised who? And he gives three things. To be circumcised literally meant to be set apart for God. There was something that happened to you that now made you a child of God. And Paul's saying, do you want to know what that really is? It's not an outward mark. It's an inward reality of your heart. And so what I'm about to teach you, what Paul's about to lay out for us, three things that must be evident in your life. I'm just going to say it. This is crazy. If you're a true believer. See, in those days, it was easy to be counted a child of God because you marked yourself by being cut on the outside and you were done. I'm Abraham's kid. Remember, Jesus was fighting with the Pharisees and they were convinced they were going to heaven. We're Abraham's kids. We don't even know who your dad is. They made fun of him because of his birth. And they were convinced they were going to heaven because of their birth. Now, Paul is going to show to us what it really means, and I want you guys to lean into this because I hope all of you think you're Christians here this morning. I think you're Christians here this morning. I think I'm a Christian here this morning. Paul's going to say it. I'll read it to you, and then we'll unpack it. Verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Those three things are the indicators that Paul gives to us that we're actually believers. You could go to church your whole life and not be a believer, you know that? You could be raised in a Christian environment, a religious home. Someone could say to you, are you a Christian? Heck yeah, I'm a Christian. I love Christmas. <laughs> what? I was born in America. Me and Bruce Springsteen, man. And that has nothing to do with it. You could go to church your whole life and that doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in your garage makes you a car. But Paul gives to us three tests. The first one, let's just unpack it and keep moving and go as far as we can. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. <laughs> this just makes me so happy because this is the Apostle Paul who worshiped the God harder and better than any of us here combined. He was more committed, more dedicated to Judaism and to faith than we'll ever understand. And yet when his life was changed, when Jesus saved him, he knew what it was like to connect to God in the spirit. And he said, all those other things I did, all the other religious things, they were nothing compared to, listen, connecting with God in the Spirit. Jesus said, you must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let me boil it down this simply. You know you're an authentic Christian, a real Christian, a true Christian, a born-again Christian. Listen, if and only if you connect with God in the Spirit. That sounds crazy for me to even say that to you. How can you judge my salvation? How can you judge my relationship with God? I'm not judging anything. What Paul says here, though, is the people who are the true circumcision are those who have connected with God's Spirit. You've been born again. You felt Him. You've connected with Him. Not just once when you were saved. That's awesome. But as you worship, as you live, as you read the Bible, as you confess your sin, as you fellowship with others. And I put this out there as a test for you. And maybe your connection to the Spirit is not perfect. It's imperfect. It's immature. But it's growing. And you know that you know that you know that you know you're a Christian. And you might say, I'm not a perfect Christian. I'm an immature Christian, and I'm an imperfect Christian. I get all that. I think we should all say that. But if you don't know that you're connected with the Holy Spirit, okay, there's trouble. I'm just being honest. We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. There's this portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 19 where Paul is on a missionary journey, and he meets a bunch of believers. And they're all hanging out, hanging out. And Paul's looking at him, and pretty soon Paul stops smiling. And he asked him, he's like, hey, 
you guys have the Holy Spirit? And I just wonder what happened leading up to that. Like, what, what conversation? They, and, and they look at Paul, they're like, never heard of him. And he's like, what? Well, what baptism did you get baptized in? And they say, we got baptized in the baptism of John, the baptizer, which was prepare ye the way. There's one coming. They didn't know the end of the story. They didn't know that Jesus had arrived. They didn't know that the Holy Spirit had been given. And Paul's like, no way, trip out. And so Paul lays hands on them, prays for them. Listen, they receive the Holy Spirit, begin speaking in tongues, and a church is born. It's like 12 of them. I'm just going to ask that question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you, have, do you have the Holy Spirit? Again, I'm not saying are you perfect. I'm not saying are you sin free. I'm not saying are you walking in an anointing in a ministry currently. But if you don't know if you have the Holy Spirit right now, did you know that He's for you, not against you, and He wants to live inside of you? He wants to regenerate you right now. This is what he does. He comes into your life and you're born again. All things are made new. All things are passed away. This is what he does. This is what it means to be a Christian is you worship the Lord in spirit. Now again, this is Paul who's talking. He knows what it's like to worship God, to be very serious, very dedicated, very available to God. And all of the time that Paul lived his life before Jesus, it was nothing compared to being born again. So here's what we're gonna do right now. I'm gonna pray. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, in your life, if you can't answer that question, okay, right now, but you want the Holy Spirit, you want to be born again, you want to be saved, you want to be of the true circumcision, if that's you, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to bow their heads right now, if that's you right now, would you just nod your head, nod your head big so God can see it, just wince your eyes, obey the Lord, say, I want the Holy Spirit, I want the Holy Spirit, I want God living inside of me, I want to be born again, Lord, and you see those people who are nodding their heads, who are responding in that way, and in Jesus' name, would you liberally pour yourself out right now, Lord, and give the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're here and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, would you nod your head and say, yes, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit again. I want to worship the Lord in spirit, not just outward appearance, but everything inside of me, Lord. So I'm nodding my head, Lord, fill me once again. Lord, take those who don't yet have you, Lord, and give yourself to them right now. Miraculously, this is what you died for, that you died that you might rise from the dead and then give your spirit to this world, Lord. And we receive it by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Hopefully you got a filling of the Holy Spirit and you connect with Him. If that's not, by the way, if that didn't happen for you, if you still don't know what I'm talking about, come find me after church. Do not leave today without the Holy Spirit. We'll lay hands on you and ask God to fill you. He says not just that, verse 3, we're still in verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and who rejoice in Christ Jesus. What are you rejoicing? John the baptizer said it this way, he must increase, I must decrease. You know you're a real Christian when your true joy comes from Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all Jesus, not you, not me, not them, not us, not others. True joy. Now I rejoice in the Jesus in you and the Jesus in others and the Jesus in me. I rejoice in that, but it's Jesus. This is Paul who's writing this. Thirdly, he says, and have no confidence in the flesh. Did you know that to be disappointed in yourself means that you've been trusting in yourself? It's actually kind of a, a good lesson. Why are you so depressed right now? Well, I blew it. Oh, I came up short again. Really? Are you surprised? Because <laughs> nobody else is surprised. Where's your confidence at? Is it in the flesh? Well. Now again, he's contrasting this with religious people who would put on certain clothes. 
Oh, I'm good now. And they would say certain prayers. Oh, I'm good now. And they would do certain things. Oh, I'm good now. And they would offer and they would, wouldn't do certain things. Oh, I'm good now. They would abstain from the world and they would participate in religious ceremonies. Ooh, man, I did better than everybody else. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's not confidence in the flesh. It's confidence in Christ. You're rejoicing in Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, God will allow your flesh to come up short, like not once, not twice, not thrice, but the whole rest of your life in order that you would not put your confidence in man. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are disappointed right now in, in yourself? You're just like, man, I wish I was, was, wish I was a little bit better. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I, you know, wish I wasn't here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you got to get over yourself. You got to get over yourself. I mean, how many of you guys, I should, I'll get some, you know, we got to keep going here. Paul contrasts now. He says, though, verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And I'm not sure what Paul's, what was inspiring him, because he goes into this diatribe now. He talks about himself, because he's talking to religious people. He's like, you guys think you're, you're smart? You think you're tough? You think you're holy? I'm tougher, smarter, and holier than anybody ever born. It's kind of a weird, humble flex, isn't it? Like, you know? You think it's going to be tough for you to be a Christian because you're so holy? I'm the holiest person in the world. What? That's what he's saying. Verse 4, I'll say it again. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Now again, Paul is building an argument that it's all Jesus, not anybody. And Paul's saying, you know who learned this the most? I did. Because I was the holiest person in the world. And listen, here's his argument I want you to be able to receive from him. I was the holiest person in the world until I met Jesus. The holiest person in the world, Paul was. And he lists, his, he lists seven things now. Four are done before he was even born or as he was born, and three were his response to his own life, and he was perfect. And he counts all of those things as rubbish, as loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus. I say that for anybody out there who's out there right now who's struggling to, to do more, to, to work harder, to be smarter, to accomplish things. And the Lord's like, what? Why? Well, because I want to, I just want to be pleasing to you, Lord. He says, oh, it doesn't come from those things. It comes from connecting with me in the Spirit, rejoicing in Jesus, and not taking confidence in the flesh. That's really what's going on. That's really what I'm looking for. And so Paul says, if that's hard for you to understand, okay, it was harder for me and I did it. And then he goes on. Let's just get a few more verses here. He, he gives us his testimony of what it was like before Jesus. And he tells us how holy he is. So th this is what he says. He says, circumcised the eighth day, verse 5, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This is how he was born. And he says he was born perfect. Born privileged. Everything he had. These are four things he lists. He was born a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the favored tribe. He's like, I came from all the best places, man. And he begins to flex, if you would, in order that we might know his spirituality. I like how he begins in verse 5, circumcised the eighth day. Isn't circumcision kind of weird? I've said it a lot this morning. Because it, it's coming up in the text. It's one of those things you don't bring up at parties, you know, small talk stuff. Anybody got any great circumcision stories, you know? <laughs> and, the, and the reason nobody brings it up is because nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wants to hear about it. And it's almost like Paul says, yeah, that was my boast, my spiritual boast. But you know that nobody wants to hear about your spiritual boasts? 
It's really just, it's the same. And as you grow in Christianity and as you continue to mature in the church and in your relationships with others, you want to know what makes you more and more bright, special, loving, fun to be around? It's not your circumcision stories. I'm just being honest. You know what makes it more pleasing to be around you and and more pleasing to, to be at all is your stories about Jesus. That's what, that's what makes you attractive. That's what the world needs. The world doesn't need your flexing to see what you've done. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. Sometimes it's a temptation to do good deeds and get the glory for yourself. You ever done that before? I'm doing something good. Better take a selfie. You know. I'm the selfie king, by the way, just so you guys know. I'm throwing, examine my heart. It was for real. And he says, no, no. You guys think I, you guys think it was, you guys think you're holy in what you've done? Man, I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm born of the tribe of Benjamin. He, he goes on, he's not done yet flexing. In order to lead to Christ. Verse six, concerning zeal, that means how serious did I take it now that I'm set up for success? Man, zeal, I was so zealous, verse six says, I persecuted the church. There were other believers, other Jews in those days that didn't get involved in politics. They didn't get involved. Paul's like, I'm all about it. You want to know how sold out I am? I'm the most sold out. I'm zealous for the cause. He goes on to say persecuting the church. He says concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. There was the law given. I never broke one law. Isn't that crazy? Now he confesses in the book of Romans that he coveted others. Okay, That was an internal uh, sin. It wasn't an outward. He never sinned. He never did anything outward. Blameless. He goes on in verse uh, 6 to say, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He also says in verse 5, I missed it, I knew there was three things. Concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. He took it upon himself to actually make sure other people kept the law. He was a professional sin sniffer. You guys know that's what the Pharisees did. They, they knew the law, they studied the law, they'd watch you knowing the law, and they'd measure your law. Like, oh, you came up short again. I was going to do a circumcision joke, but I didn't. But you came up short again, you know. <laughs> kind of did. Kind of did. No. Now, the Pharisees, they were interesting. You guys know this. The Pharisees, their job was to sit, sniff, sin, and make sure everyone did the He put himself in that position. And they would measure people, and they would hold them accountable, and they wouldn't even match the same accountability that they would put on people. That's why they were called Pharisees, because they weren't fair, you see. You'll never forget that now. You're welcome. (laughs) Pharisees, they're all about the law. He says all these things. Let's get to the good part here. Let's get to the good part. Verse seven. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. I mean, I don't even know if we can comprehend who, who Saul was. Saul of Tarsus, who the author is. He's known as Paul here because he'd been changed. He just described Saul. Everything he had going for him. He was the best of the best. He was the leader of leaders. The rule keeper of rule keepers. Feared by all. Esteemed by all. Revered by all. And he lost all. And you know what he says? It was worth it. It was worth it. All of these things are now counted as loss. 
for the excellence of knowing Jesus. Verse 7, I've counted loss for the knowledge of Jesus. Look at verse 8, because he says it again in verse 8, same thing, he says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Guys, what is Paul even talking about? What he wants us to understand is no matter how holy you are or how holy you are not, it doesn't matter as long as you have Christ because if you have Christ, you have everything. And you might be struggling here this morning saying, I don't feel like I have everything. You have everything. Well, I just need to get a little more righteousness under my belt. I need to get a little more holiness. I need to do a little more things. I need to go to the march. I need to go to the thing. I need to prepare for this. I need to do all this. Do you have Christ? You have everything. Because I get ripped off all day long and you get so weighed all day long and we get deceived all day long. And Paul would say, guys, I've had it all. I know. And I have Jesus. And I count all of those things lost. Yet all things, not just the things I've lost, but everything else I've lost along with that. Paul lost his freedom. Paul lost his relationships, his companions. He lost his future, his retirement plan, all his things. He couldn't go back to Jerusalem. When he would go back to Jerusalem, they would arrest him. And he says, it doesn't matter. For the excellence of knowing Christ. Now let me say two things. Some of you have lost things in this life. Some of you are in the season right now of losing things. You're losing your health. Maybe you're losing your freedom of some sort. Maybe you're losing your peace. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe things are, you're going through a breakup. Something's happening. You're losing something. And it may be something that isn't even evil or wrong, but you're losing it. It's being taken from you. There may be other things and people watching at home online or people here saying, you know what, I've got to get rid of this for Christ. I, gotta, I, I, can't, I can't do this thing anymore. I gotta walk away from this lifestyle. I gotta walk away from this, this habit, this care. I, I'm gonna lose everything for Christ. Can I say, no matter what you lose in this world for Christ, okay, those things that you have esteemed as loss are now counted as rubbish for the excellence of knowing Him, knowing Jesus. Last night I was reading John chapter 6 in my office. And I just felt the Lord say, Luke, you got to read John chapter 6. And I was like, I'm busy. i got stuff to do. I was like, but I'll start with John 6. It's a long chapter. It's like 70-some verses. It's, it's long. It took, took me a while because I just read through. And as I was reading, the Lord ministered to my heart so deeply. And one of the things that stood out to me the most in that chapter is, is Jesus and his humanity, in his relationship with his boys, in his relationship with the people, it's the story where he feeds a bunch of people and it's a, it's a freak out session. Everyone's freaking out and the disciples feed thousands of miracle and the next day they want more food and Jesus kind of rebukes them and freaks them out some more and they leave him. And, and then Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you want to leave too? Today's quitting day. Everyone's quitting. You can quit too if you want. And it's my favorite verse in all the Bible, John six sixty eight. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have both come to believe and know that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. The Bible says in John six sixty six that from that day, many of his disciples left him. And the point that Jesus, I believe for me last night, he said, Luke, do you see how my disciples related with me? I was really there 2,000 years ago. And I began to kind of laugh in my office by myself, me and my dog, we were both laughing a little bit. And I was thinking about what would it be like to be with Jesus 2,000 years ago? Would that have been a trip to really be with him? And he's telling you to do crazy things and you're walking with him and the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm with you right now, bro. I'm with you right now. I'm with you right now. 
And what Paul is arguing for here is the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus. It doesn't just mean to know about Him. And let me end with these thoughts. You know about a lot of people, but you do not know them. You've studied history. You watch the news. You know a little bit about certain people that you do not know. God is not asking us to know a little bit about His Son and not know Him. He's not asking us to know a little bit about the Bible and the Ten Commandments and and heaven, but not know Him. What He's asking you and me to do is to know Jesus. To walk in relationship with Him. To take Him into our business. To take Him into our relationships. To take Him into the hard times. To take Him into the good times. To know Jesus. If you do not know Jesus, you don't know anything. Nothing. Paul had everything and he said, those things are lost. Those things are rubbish for the excellence of knowing my Savior, Jesus Christ. I am now intimately connected with Him. And that is the challenge. That's the gift. If you don't have that, what do you have? And if you do have that, you have everything you need. And may the Lord stir up that simplicity that we would walk with Him in these crazy days when things are uncertain. Things are going to get more uncertain. But Jesus is not uncertain. Don't raise your hand. How many of you guys feel like we're going to lose some stuff in the future? What if you do? Is Jesus enough for you? Paul would have his head cut off. Paul lost everything. What does Paul say? I don't care. I have Jesus. And if you're suffering here this morning or you see suffering in your, in your near future, May you be anchored in to Jesus who is the hope that fails not. This world is going to go down in a blaze of glory. And men and women like you and me who know Jesus will be used by Him as shining ambassadors, as witnesses of peace in a world gone nuts. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Father, in Jesus' name now, we pray that we would not, Lord, miss the simplicity of this message in the illustrations that Paul brings forth, Lord, and all the things that we've studied, may we truly know Jesus and Him crucified. Lord, may we celebrate the things that we've lost. Maybe you're a person here, and in order to become a believer, you had to break up a relationship. You had to leave a certain lifestyle. You had to do something. I'm going to leave that. And you're thinking, well, that's, that's, my, that's my stuff. That's my stuff. Paul said, it's loss. It is loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Savior. And for you who have lost, may Jesus now be magnified in your hearts and your spirits. You have enough. You have everything you need in Him. And for those of you who are being tested in the future, there are things that you need to walk away from, things that will be taken from you, tests that you will go through. May Jesus be the one thing, the only thing, the true thing that is found left in your life. And may we not wait for things to get better because Jesus is enough right now. And if you would like me, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. If you would like me, say, Lord, I just want Jesus to be enough. I don't know how that works. I don't know what's next. But I want Jesus to be enough. And I want to know him, not just know about him. I want to know him greater. And so, Lord, would you take me on a journey that leads me there? If that's you, would you just raise up your hand right now? Just raise up your hand and volunteer. Say, yeah, take me on a journey that leads me there. I want to know you better. I don't want to worry about the things I've lost, the things that are going to get taken away from me. I don't want to have to freak out about that. I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. I don't want to be worried about the religious people. Don't worry about the stuff. Lord, my hand is up too. Would you forgive me of my sins and help us to be, Lord, more about your business. Lord, have your way. The Bible says in the end days that you're going to be at the door of the church knocking, asking to get in. 
that Laodicean church. May we, Lord, open up the door and let you in. We thank you. you can put your hands down. Thank you for all you've done and all you're doing, Lord. Bless the 11 a.m. services. They come in. Bless all the things we do this week, Lord. Help us to walk in the spirit of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen and amen. We did not get through 11 verses, but that's okay. That's okay. That'll make my sermon prep easier next week. Hey, I love you guys. God bless you. Don't forget to participate and pray for all the things happening here at South Beach Church. Tomorrow from 8 to 12, they're going to be at the Newport Christian Church loading stuff up. Come check out the new school. Be praying. The best is yet to come. Good things are in store for those who know the Lord, who love him, and are called according to his purpose. I love you. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>